0: Our scripture reading this morning is found in the last chapter of 2 Timothy. We're concluding our series of sermons through 2 Timothy and this morning we come to the final section which begins in verse nine of chapter four. 2 Timothy chapter four verses nine through 22. Please give the word of God your full attention. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, when you come, Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth and I left Trophimus who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. There's a relatively new Christmas song that has become one of my favorites over the past few years. It's called Time, kind of a generic title. And it's done by an unknown artist by the name of Andy Davis. It begins sounding a little bit like a Hallmark Christmas movie, but it quickly turns in a surprising direction. Here's how the first set of lyrics go. says, Salvation Army Santa Claus rings his bell when the penny's tossed. And I don't know why, but I feel lost. Two lovers shopping for a Christmas tree kiss each other when they cross the street and I'm feeling like the joke's on me. It sneaks up on you like cold weather. Whether or not you're ready, it comes. I don't want to be lonely at the most wonderful time of the year, but Christmas time is here. The lyrics go on to tell about this young man's grief over lost love and he remembers several incidents of the ghosts of Christmas past. And it's not your very typical Christmas song. But I enjoy it. I enjoy it because it's a very good reminder that this time of year is an extremely difficult, bittersweet time for many, many people. When you think of all the images of Christmas, it's all about joyful gatherings of warm family and friends, but for a large percentage of our population, the season has become a painful reminder of loves lost and broken relationships. Many have come to despise this season. A year ago, the Surgeon General of the United States made a statement, which I found interesting in many ways, but he said that there is a loneliness epidemic in our culture. A loneliness epidemic. And It's interesting, in in spite of all of the many different new technologies and ways in which we can connect with each other more easily than ever before in the history of mankind, we're actually more socially isolated in this age than we probably ever have been in the history of mankind. We may have a thousand followers on Facebook or Instagram, but we have so few people, maybe some of us have nobody that really knows us. Originally, we had planned for the series of sermons through Second Timothy, to wrap up at the end of November and then to begin our annual tradition of an Advent series in the first Sunday of Advent, but then we had a change in our schedule back in the beginning of November and it necessitated us pushing the last message in the series on Second Timothy to the first Sunday today of Advent. And I was lamenting that at first, and especially because I knew it was the last part of the last chapter of one of Paul's epistles, which is often just kind of a laundry list of greetings and and last kind of random comments. But as I dug into this passage and I began to see the main theme of what Paul is trying to communicate here, all of a sudden I realized this is an extremely appropriate passage for Advent season. This is a season of longing, of longing for something that we desperately need that we don't yet have, that's still to come. When I was young, the weeks preceding Christmas were all about longing for something, but it was all about longing for presents, material things. But as I have grown as a believer and follower of Christ, Advent season every year becomes more and more about restoration, reconciliation, a longing for far more deeper, far more eternal things that are still yet to come. We see that in this letter Paul wrote to Timothy and as he opens up his heart here in this last chapter, I see a vulnerability in in Paul in this last chapter that I've don't really see anywhere else in his writings, even though I do feel that he was an open person, and you do see it in his writings, but it's so profound here. Remember, Paul is facing the end of his life. He's a prisoner in a cold, dark dungeon in Rome. He's waiting for his inevitable execution, which could come any day. As he said back in verse six that you looked at last week, the time of my departure has come. And he concludes this letter by pleading with Timothy, his beloved spiritual son. He says, do your best to come to me soon. He goes on to say, Demas has deserted me. And then he says, Luke alone is with me. And verse 16, he says, at my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. And then he ends with that poignant phrase, Do your best, Timothy, to come before winter." We need to listen to Paul's heart here, see his vulnerability, and learn a lesson about how to endure loneliness by faith in Jesus Christ. First thing we learn from his example is our incredibly strong need for relationships in our lives. Paul began this letter back in chapter 1, verse 4 of chapter 1. He says to Timothy, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. And he ends the letter by saying, come to me soon, Timothy. He longed for that close, intimate, warm relationship with his spiritual son. Only God's word can explain why we all have that need for relationship. Only God's word can explain that deep ache, that hunger for close intimate relationships with other people who really know us because scripture explains what our original design looked like. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. There's that wonderful little hint there of what the rest of the scriptures reveals to us in, in, in increasingly light, increasing light the idea that the God who created us is somehow a community. That in Himself, He is a community. That our God, in a way that we can't comprehend because He's so much greater, so much bigger, so much more majestic than, than we can comprehend, somehow God is three persons and one God. That as the scriptures teach us, God is love, because God has always loved. Before the universe came into existence, before he created people in his image, the Father loved the Son, the Son loved the Spirit, the Spirit loved the Father and the Son. There was this eternal relationship between the three persons of the Trinity. And so when God creates man, he says, let, him make, let, us, let us make him in our image. In other words, he made us inherently relational just as he is inherently in his very being relational. We are not three persons in one being. We are one person, one being, and we are created to need the other beings who are made in the image of God. That's the way he made us. That's the way we're wired. They did a study a few years ago scientists did a study they, they, they used MRI they, with the updated MRI technology really to go much more in depth in studying the connections of the brain and in that study one of the statements was this our brains are wired to connect with other people our brains are wired to connect with other people guess who did the wiring our relational God did that One researcher said belonging to a community is the most fundamental human need beyond food and shelter. Belonging to community is right up there with food and shelter as a basic need of life. Matter of fact, in that same report that the U.S. Surgeon General made last year, he he said that, that loneliness has the same effect on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's the physical impact of loneliness, let alone the spiritual and psychological impact. Not only does God's word tell us why we are like this, but it also explains why we are so hungry for it. Why there's such an ache, there's such an emptiness, such a longing for something we don't have. Because scripture then tells us about sin entering into the creation. As Adam and Eve rebelled against their creator, the most profound impact of sin entering into a perfect creation was alienation. Alienation between man and God and alienation between man and woman and man and other man between people. Alienation is the most profound effect of sin. And lo and behold, the rest of scripture is about how God has saved us from that state of alienation. God has done all the work necessary To reconcile us to himself, to restore relationship with him as our creator, and to restore relationships with other sinners like ourselves. That's what salvation is about. It's about reconciliation. So while we wait for the fullness of salvation, while we wait for Christ to return to bring to completion what he's begun, we endure loneliness. We must suffer with loneliness. And Paul here in this passage describes his own loneliness and he he describes the fact that there are three different causes to why he's lonely. He talks about three different kinds of breaks in relationships that have led to him being in this very lonely state. The first one is betrayal. Paul says, Come to me soon, Timothy, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted. He's abandoned me and gone to Thessalonica. Now who was Demas? Well we know from just a couple of other references in the New Testament that Demas was one of Paul's missionary team. He was one of his associates. He was was a trainee just like Timothy and Titus were his trainees. Demas was one of these these young men that were being mentored into ministry by Paul and traveled with him, were with him 24 seven, going from place to place, strengthening churches and planting churches. We know from what's said in Philemon and in Colossians that Demas was with Paul in his first imprisonment in Rome. And Paul had two imprisonments, remember? There was the first one in Rome, which is recorded for us at the end of the book of Acts, where he was under house arrest and had quite a bit of freedom. And then he was let go from that after the book of Acts, after what's recorded in the book of Acts, and then later was imprisoned again in much more harsh treatment was put in the cold dark dungeon and this is the imprisonment that that he, he is in the midst of as he writes this letter. Well, in the first imprisonment, we know Demas was with Paul and from this, we assume that he must have been with him also in Rome in this imprisonment. Demas was, as Paul puts it, in love with this present world. He loved the comfort and pleasure of this world more than he loved Paul more than he loved the church, more than he loved Jesus Christ, more than he loved the kingdom of Christ. And he exchanged all of that for the pleasures and rewards and comforts of this world. And you can tell that Paul was heartbroken. I had a young man when I was pastoring a church in in the Philadelphia suburbs that uh, I met him as a college student at Westchester University. He was a new believer, he was hungry, He was teachable, I invested days, hours, days, months, years, I invested in this young man as he grew, as he developed as a follower of Christ. I presided over his marriage when he married a woman who loved the Lord. I baptized his first son. I trained him to become a deacon in the church but I'll never forget the evening when his wife came into me in tears, sat down in my office, and told me that he had been unfaithful to her, that he turned his back on her, that he turned his back on the Lord, that he was leaving her, and I was heartbroken. I know what Paul felt. I know at least a little bit of what Paul felt in that experience. And that is loneliness. That is loneliness that is the result of betrayal. And I don't think there is a more painful kind of loneliness to go through than the pain of enduring betrayal of someone who you love and whom you've invested much in. Relationships that are broken by betrayal and sin are the worst kind of loneliness. Divorce, prodigal children, friendships where sin has separated you. But let me point out to you what Paul says to Timothy in verse 11. He says, get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me in ministry. Do you remember who Mark was? This is John Mark. This is the Mark who accompanied Paul. He, like Titus and Demas and Timothy, was a, a, a disciple of Paul. He was with Paul on his first missionary journey and Mark departed. He abandoned him. He deserted Paul on that missionary journey. But later, he came back to the church. His cousin Barnabas wanted to include him on the second missionary journey, but Paul says, no, I don't trust him. And Paul refused to take him with him on the second journey. But if you follow Mark's story through the rest of the New Testament, we eventually find out that Mark is with Paul during his first Roman imprisonment. And he is ministering to him there. And then later we find out that John Mark has become a close associate of the apostle Peter. And Peter has given him his account of the gospel and that's the reason we have the second gospel, the gospel according to Mark. Paul wanted to have Mark come to be with him because he'd had one disciple who had, who had abandoned him and deserted him. He needed to be reassured that God's grace can restore. He wanted Mark to come to comfort him and encourage him. I'm always struck by the interesting parallels that there are in scripture. It's one of those fingerprints of the Holy Spirit that you see on scripture that show us that this book is no ordinary human book, is that you'll see these interesting parallels. Jesus had two disciples, one who betrayed him, Judas, who went away and never came back. But he also had a disciple named Peter who denied him, but then repented and came back and was restored and was useful to Jesus in ministry. Paul had Demas, who deserted him, abandoned him, and as far as we know, never came back. But he also had Mark, one who deserted him, but repented and was restored by the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the kind of loneliness that results from betrayal. The second kind of loneliness that Paul talks about here is the kind that comes from God's providence and call upon the people in our lives. Look at verse 10. It talks about Crescens, who's gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Verse 12, Tychicus has gone to, to, um, to Ephesus. He's been sent there by Paul. Verse 20, Erastus remained at Corinth. Trophimus, who was ill, stayed at Miletus. Altogether, in this short passage, Paul lists eight of his team, missionary team members who are not with him now, who have all scattered to all these different places. But in this case, they're going for good reasons. They're not deserting Paul. As a matter of fact, as Paul says, I sent some of them. They are where they are because God has called them there. They're being obedient to their role in the kingdom. They're going to preach the gospel. But yet, they're gone and Paul has to deal with their absence. He misses these men. Only Luke remained with him. These men wanted to be with Paul, but God's providence and God's call upon their life led them elsewhere. And so even though it was for good purposes, it was God's plan, it's for the kingdom, it's still absence and grief and loss and loneliness. At Oakwood we say that we're ascending church and we go through this typically May, June, we say goodbye to dozens of people sometimes that leave us at the end of the semester. We say goodbye so often our arm gets tired from waving, we say goodbye all the time. But we keep emphasizing this is God's providence at work, this is God's call at work. These people are going to take the gospel to other places, to be a part of other churches, to to bring the message of Christ where it's needed. And so we do rejoice in it, but we have to acknowledge it's still painful. We miss them. They leave an emptiness. It's lonely without them. The third kind of loneliness that Paul refers to here is the kind that comes from direct opposition to the gospel. Look at verse 14. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. Beware of him yourself, Timothy, for he strongly opposed our message. Now, we don't know who this Alexander is. matter of fact, Alexander is a very, very common name in the Roman Empire, kind of like John in our culture. It was very common. Many people had it. So we don't know who these, this Alexander is. There's five Alexanders in the New Testament. There's a couple of good possibilities. One of the Alexanders in the New Testament was, uh, is found in 1 Timothy chapter 1 where Paul refers to an Alexander who was a false teacher in Ephesus. And remember, Timothy was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. So that false teacher might be the Alexander that Paul is referring to. If you go back to Acts chapter 19, that's where Paul's ministry in Ephesus is described, and it talks about a leader of the unbelieving Jewish community who persecuted Paul, who opposed the church, and a a spokesman for that Jewish community was a man named Alexander. Maybe Paul means that Alexander. A lot of commentators actually think that it's neither one of those that Timothy would have to deal with in Ephesus, but actually someone that Timothy would meet when he came to Rome to see Paul, which was somebody who was persecuting the church, somebody who was attacking Paul, and maybe even Paul's accuser that led to him being in prison. We don't know, this is all speculation. All we need to know is that this is a man who harmed Paul greatly because of Paul's stand for Christ because Paul was preaching the gospel. This is somebody who hated him, who stood opposed to him, who harmed him because of his relationship with Christ. Jesus warned us that the world would hate us because it hates him. And this kind of unjust hostility and opposition that we face in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our family, this is a cause of loneliness. It hurts. It leaves us hungry for something we don't have. But Paul, it's interesting, in this passage, as much as Paul opens up his heart and shares about all this loneliness, this feeling abandoned, this emptiness, this loss, this grief, even as he shares it, he wants Timothy to know that if providentially Timothy can't come, he's going to be okay. The Lord will be with him. He emphasizes that as he moves along in this passage. Verses 16 and 17, he's talking about my first offense. Now we don't know if he means when he had to stand trial in his first imprisonment in Rome, the one from which he was eventually released, or if it's talking about his first offense as part of the trial in which he's now being kept in the dungeon. We don't know which defense he's talking about, but he says at my first offense, no one came to stand by me. Not even Luke was there, we don't know why, but nobody stood by him as he stood trial. He was deserted, but, he says, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Paul just clung to that promise that Jesus gave when he ascended to heaven, and he said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When everyone deserted him, he knew that the Lord was with him, that the presence of the Lord was just as real, just as powerful, more powerful, than the presence of any beloved human being. And isn't that the central meaning of the incarnation anyway? The Old Testament promise of Emmanuel, that because Christ came, God was with us. That was the purpose of his coming, to remove the alienation in the whole of creation, but especially the alienation between sinners and their creator, and between sinners and other sinners. That is why Christ came. He took the full punishment that our sins deserved upon himself at the cross. He made us clean as we put our faith in him. And he adopted us by God's grace into God's family. And his promise is that he will never leave or forsake us. If you're struggling with loneliness, let me point you to the Psalms. The Psalms deal with loneliness all the time. So many of those beautiful works of poetry, those songs of the church, so often they open up the heart of David or the other Psalm writer to share deep pains and often it's loneliness. Feeling abandoned by God, let alone abandoned by people. Go to the Psalms to see how they deal with it. I'm gonna give you one example from Psalm 27. David writes this Psalm and the whole Psalm is about the loneliness, the pain, the grief that he's experiencing because of his enemies, those who are opposed to him as God's king. And he gets to the end of it and listen to what he says. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my mother and my father have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. You hear that last line? Who are the last two people to forsake you in this world, if they're good parents? Your father and your mother. But even if they forsake you, David knew the Lord was there for him, always in all circumstances. The Lord's unconditional, unchanging, unbreakable promise to be with us always enables us to endure all kinds of loneliness in this fallen world until he comes. It enables us to face the hostility of those who hate us because they hate Jesus Christ. Paul deals with that in talking about Alexander in verse 14. He says, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. You see the awareness that's behind him saying, "Saying the Lord's with me. The Lord pu- has taken my punishment for my sins. And so therefore, he, the, the, Alexander's in his hands. He's the judge of Alexander, I'm not. The Lord is with me and the Lord will call him to account. Either he'll pardon him for his sins against me or he'll punish him for his sins against me. But I can let it go because the Lord is with me. It also enables us to forgive our brothers and sisters when they sin against us and they will. Our brothers and sisters in Christ will abandon us sometimes. They will desert us, they will hurt us. But knowing that Christ is with us through the message of the gospel enables us to forgive as he has forgiven us. In verse 16, He's speaking there about those friends who didn't stand by him when he stood for his first defense. And he says, may it not be charged against them. Lord, forgive them for this sin. He could only forgive because Christ had first forgiven him. He could only forgive and let it go because Christ was with him. And then finally... Knowing that Christ is with us enables us to endure loneliness because he understands loneliness at a level that you or I will never ever experience. Isaiah 53 verse three says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was hated by the religious leaders. He was deserted by his disciples. He had crowds pleading for his crucifixion. And in a moment that none of us will ever begin to comprehend, the second person of the Trinity who added to his divine nature a human nature, hung on a cross, bore our sins in his flesh, and cried out to this God and Father with whom he'd been in intimate, perfect fellowship for all eternity past. He cries out and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the epitome of loneliness, and none of you have ever experienced anything like that, but Jesus has. And He did it because He loved you, and He did it so that He could be reconciled to you. (laughs) Hebrews 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Are you lonely? Are you hurting because of broken relationship or separated relationships in your life? Go to him. Because he understands. He's been there. And he's been much further. And he will give you the grace to endure. I want to wrap up by just pointing out that last phrase that Paul uses. He says to Timothy, do your best to come before winter. Let me explain that. This time of year, and because we're in the same hemisphere over there in the Middle East, it, it, the winter hits there same time it does here. So this time of year, November to, to March, November to February or February to March, during this time of year, they shut down the seaports around the Mediterranean Sea, most of them. They shut them down. You can't, you can't sail from place to place during this time of year at this time, back in the first century, because the winter storms were so dangerous. We know that Paul knew that from very vivid experience, Acts chapter 27, where Paul himself was shipwrecked about this time of year. He knew what would happen, that they would shut the the, the seaports down, the ships wouldn't sail because of it. So he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, if you don't come soon, you're not gonna be able to come till spring. And you know what? I'm probably not gonna be here. Timothy, come before winter. Make it urgent. I need you, Timothy, make it urgent. Come now, drop what you're doing. Don't delay. Or else I won't be here when you come in the spring. I'm really struck that as he asked for Timothy to come, just hear the heart of Paul here. He asked for three things. Three things that he treasured most. It's not interesting about death. I've seen this in many people's lives. When you face death, all of a sudden, in a very clear and vivid way, you see what's important in life. And Paul asked for three things he asked for the fellowship of Timothy and of Luke and of Mark. Secondly, he asked for a cloak, just a simple cloak. And by the cloak, what that was at that time was, was just a thick woolen blanket, had a hole cut in the middle, didn't have arms, you just put it over your head and you wore it like a poncho. But it was, it was the winter coat. It was what they wore in the midst of winter. Paul's in a cold, dark dungeon, and winter's coming, says, bring me my, my winter coat. And then he says, Timothy, also bring me the books and the parchments. Now, that could be a number of things, but we know for sure that part of the books and the parchments was the Old Testament scriptures. He wanted the Word of God. He's about to die. He longs for three things, the fellowship of his brothers in the Lord, comfort physically for his physical suffering, to get him through a cold winter, and the Word of God. That's what's most important. When people face death, All they think about are the relationships in their lives. Is there a lonely person in your life? Somebody who needs your fellowship. Somebody who needs you to minister to their physical needs. Somebody who needs promises from God's word. Come before winter. You know, loneliness and depression tend to make us selfish and self-centered. That's the way our old nature is. When we get lonely and depressed, we get very selfish and self centered. And I've known many people in the church who will complain, you know, people don't reach out to me, I don't know anybody, and they get self pitying. And it becomes a vicious cycle because the more they self pity, the more people kind of give them, you know, a wide berth because, you know, they become unappealing people when they're just depressed and self pitying. Don't let that happen. That's not how you deal with the loneliness. There's two things you need to do when you're, you're struggling with loneliness. In life. You need to turn two ways. You need to turn, first of all, towards God. Because I'll tell you, sometimes when you're lonely, it's because you're looking for other people to give you something that only God can give you. You need to turn to the Lord. He's given you means of grace to do that. He's given you his word. He's given you the privilege of prayer. He's given you the privilege of the fellowship of the saints. Turn to the Lord and he will meet your need. Even if everyone turns their back on you, he will be there for you. Secondly, turn to others. Our old nature becomes selfish in our loneliness. Our new nature, our regenerated nature, this gift that the Lord has given us, turns us towards others and says, how can I serve you? We are recreated to love others. And if we reach out to others, we serve others, you know what? The loneliness will dissipate. And that's a part of the problem, too, is that when you're lonely, you tend to, to pity yourself and, and grieve over the fact that the cool kids, the popular people, don't like you. They're not treating you right. They're not reaching out to you like they should. Those, those, those people have enough friends. You need to look for the people that are feeling left out, the people that are the outcasts. Go serve somebody. Go lay your life down for somebody and watch your loneliness disappear. because that's what you're created for now. You've been recreated to love and serve others. And just one last reminder, do it before winter. There may be an opportunity that the Lord has given you right now to reach out to somebody who needs you to give them fellowship, to minister to their physical needs, and or to bring them the promises of God. Don't delay, because the Lord might give that opportunity to somebody else and you miss out on the opportunity to love somebody else, to cure your own loneliness, to glorify God. Who do you need to reach out to today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for our salvation in Christ. And yet in this Advent season and looking at this passage of your word, we acknowledge that there is still so much that needs to be done in us and through us. There are still so many griefs, so many aches, so many longings in our lives that are not fulfilled. Lord, teach us to long for the things that you want for us. But Lord, give us patience while we wait for those things to be brought to fulfillment. And the thing that we long most for is for the alienation to be taken away completely. No more alienation that we might see you face to face and be like you. No more alienation with others that all of the the rancor and the quarrelsomeness and the and the broken relationships and the betrayals might be put away once and for all. Lord, bring peace to earth, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.